Hello, everybody. Welcome to another King and Servant podcast. Um, for those who are uh, waiting in anticipation for the next uh, show to be downloaded onto your iTunes player, fear no more, because here I am with an additional installment of the King and Servant podcast. Uh, I know it has been a long time since I was last in the studio, but um, being busy, work, life, getting married, a lot of good stuff, but a lot of time-consuming events that uh, have uh, hindered me providentially, if you will, from uh, getting to the studio here. But I am happy to be back in here once more. Um, I did actually do a recording um, about a month ago, and we lost the audio file. We don't know where it's at. But if I do find that, I'll be sure to post it on the homepage there. Uh, But if we don't find that, I believe this will be show number 30. And uh, yes, for those who I've spoken to recently, uh, one individual I'm thinking of right now uh, approached me and said, will you please uh, be clear on what show number it is? It's not a good way to start the show. But once again, I have to apologize. I can't quite recall what show it is, but I believe it's show number 30. So we're making progress here. And um, I'm hoping to be back in the studio more in the up and coming months. And um, for those who are brand new to the show, which is possible. Uh, I've had a little bit of exposure through the uh, the Narrow Mind recently. I was a guest on that show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I've noticed some traffic uh, head over to my way at the homepage. But for those who are brand new to the show, you can go over to kingandservant.com, and uh, there you will find uh, all the archive shows for free. Uh, it doesn't get better than that. There is actually a little small donation uh, PayPal button right down at the bottom of the page, that I never mention, I never care to mention, I guess I should, but uh, it is there if you feel particularly led um, by the Holy Spirit to help support this show. Uh, But we're hoping to do new things in 2011 uh, with the show. So, that's the introduction done. What could I possibly have for you all today? What could I possibly bring that uh, would be different to all the other shows that I've done? Because... I know it sometimes comes across easy. You know, you just sit there with a microphone. But when you do have that busy schedule that I currently have, it is actually quite challenging to produce a quality show um, even once a month, whereby you can look at the content and be happy with it. And for me to have the confidence to post it as a show, uh, which will be edifying for the listener. But um, the downloads are still happening, so I want to keep on going. And the topic I have for you this evening is um, a topic that has two extremes. It's either sensationalized and there's an overemphasis on it, or it's marginalized and if not entirely forgotten. And what I would like to look at tonight is the subject of demonology, but more of a subset of that particular topic. I want to look at uh, the New Testament scriptures, some key scriptures in the writings of Paul as it pertains to spiritual warfare and uh, the reality of the demonic. Um, And that's why I hope that has kind of caught your interest, has perked you up, and uh, has uh, intrigued you into the direction I'm going to go with this show. Because like I said a few moments ago, there's often two extremes I observe. And uh, if you're more familiar with a more um, Pentecostal upbringing um, or charismatic upbringing, you've probably seen the full range of um, of activity 
or supposed activity in this area when it comes to the demonic, when it comes to evil spirits. Um, and it can be quite off-putting. I mean, I remember once talking to a gentleman who said he attended a fellowship uh, whereby uh, to exercise the demons, to cast out the demons, they had to breathe into a paper bag. And that was somehow a release mechanism uh, for the demon that had been possessing them or oppressing them. And you look at that stuff, um, even if you're open to the most fullest expression of the charismatic movement, <laughs> Brian just looked over his monitor there going, really? I said, yeah, that's a true story. Even if you're full to the, you know, the fullest expression of the charismatic, if you will, that's a, a bit far-fetched. And that's a story that makes you go, yikes, you know, that's, that's really damaging to the Christian testimony uh, because the Bible says that we are to be sound in our thinking. Um, in Isaiah it says, Come, let us reason, saith the Lord. And that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. So it really mitigates and goes contrary to those scriptures. So we're not dealing with any of that silliness. Nobody would really uh, be uh, listening to this podcast and entertaining those uh, types of ministries. Um, it's just it's just it's not going to happen. I'd be very surprised anyway if, it, if there is a listener out there uh, who is shocked to know that I would really discredit such a ministry as that. Um, but we do have another extreme. And the other extreme, I think, is going to, uh, I guess, come closer to home to the majority of my listeners uh, uh, to this podcast. And that is, there's a tendency for a lot of reform folks or a lot of grounded people uh, in the scriptures to basically so marginalize this subject that we live our day-to-day lives without even giving it a second thought. That we pretend that, that there isn't this other realm that really does have a lot of sway and say in the present realm that we find ourselves in. But the Bible does give us some things by way of revelation for us to know about this other realm when it comes to the activity of angels, when it comes to the activity of the demonic. And yes, we have the gospel narratives and we have many, many stories or uh, narratives would be a better word to, word to use than stories. Many, many factual testimonies, wit- eyewitnesses of Jesus and his apostles casting out demons. You've got legion and that's spoken of in all the synoptic gospels. You've got the mute child that threw himself into the fire. I believe that's Matthew 17. There's some parallel passages to that. Um, and there are many others as well um, of Christ casting out demons by the word of his power. And then when you get into the book of Acts, you read about how Apostle Paul was used this way, uh, the one with the spirit of divination. Um, and there are other examples in the book of Acts as well where we see this outbreak of the demonic where people were even possessed, whereby they couldn't control their mental faculties under the influence of the evil spirit. But also, counterwise, we see the triumph of the gospel. And that's why Jesus said, if I, by the spirit of God, cast out demons, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you or has has arrived. And it was deliberately set up that way to show the power of the kingdom of God through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And um, I believe that there was an unusual outbreak of satanic activity around the ministry of Christ. Because think about it for a moment. 
if Satan, who does exist, I know some people like just to mythologize him. No, no, that's just a fictional character that speaks of evil in the world. No, he's a real entity. If he's smart, which the Bible seems to clearly indicate that he is, then he's going to focus his attack upon Jesus and upon thwarting and coming against his ministry and work. Because he would have known that if he could stop Jesus, then he could stop the kingdom. And that's why I believe even somebody as loyal, at least before his uh, his uh, breakdown at the end of the Gospels, as somebody as passionate, I should say, would be a better way to put it, as uh, Apostle Peter, when there in uh, Caesarea Philippi, talking to Jesus uh, in Matthew 16, after making the good confession of who Christ is, Jesus goes on to talk about his crucifixion. And Peter at that point goes to interrupt Jesus to even manhandle him, I believe, and say, I can't allow you to be crucified, or words to that effect. And Jesus responds by saying, get behind me, Satan. You do not serve the things of God, but the things of man. So there you have Apostle uh, Peter, who was strongly convicted in who Christ was, was truly saved. And yet, in the very same chapter, he was under the influence of Satan. And not that he was in conscious agreement with Satan's plans, but he'd come under the influence of worldly thinking that was ultimately uh, had Satan at the head of it, had Satan as its author. And that's why Jesus says in that passage, get behind me, Satan, because you do not serve the things of God, but the things of man. So you see here that we are to expect this outbreak. That's basically why I shared that passage, that there was this concentration of activity around the ministry of Christ. But because of God's sovereign plan in permitting that, it it demonstrated Christ's power over the principalities and powers. And that's why in Colossians 2, I believe it is, verse 14, it says, upon the cross he made a display of the principalities and powers that when they thought they were victorious and crucifying the Lord of glory, that was the time when Christ was victorious over them. And we think again uh, how Jesus was more tempted than any man. I know in Hebrews 4 it talks about how Jesus uh, was tempted at all points as we are, but yet without sin. And we kind of casually read that, yeah, we all get tempted. But he had a severe concentration of temptation from Satan because before he'd even uh, really got out the starting gates if you will with his public ministry he was driven into the wilderness and there we read in the synoptic gospels how he was tempted by Satan three times to feed his needs by turning stone into bread by uh, jumping off a building uh, saying that the angels will keep charge over him and furthermore to be tempted with all the kingdoms of the world which Satan seemed to have some uh, authority over, some some uh, rights over, uh, according to that passage there. And he is referred to as the prince of the air. And this is New Testament revelation. This is not just, oh, well, that's just the Old Testament. And yes, we understand, as I alluded to there a few moments ago in Colossians 2, and other passages, for example, in John 12, when Jesus says, now is saying to uh, cast out or being cast out would be the better translation. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. A wonderful passage there of his, uh, of his crucifixion and then ascension. So there's been a 
definite hammer blow to the work of Satan and the activity of Satan. But a lot of these verses that I want to look at are New Testament. And that's why I felt it was important to go to the passages that we find in Paul. So we can't dispensationalize them away. We can't uh, cessationalize them away. And what I mean by that is you can't say, well, that's over now. Yes, I believe there was a certain concentration of demonic activity which has been um, bound through the victory of the cross. And I believe, uh, as a good amillennialist, I believe Revelation 20 bears this out when it says the great angel came down, which I believe is Christ, with a chain in his hand and bound Satan for a thousand years, not a literal thousand years, but the church age. Uh, this all dovetails with uh, uh, John 12, as I referred to a few moments ago. So yes, Satan has been restrained, but there are some things that God wants us to know about his present activity, in particular through uh, his, his league of uh, uh, demons, which are uh, known as by most theologians as fallen angels, those who followed Satan in his rebellion. Now, you can't be 100% conclusive about this. Uh, that's why I don't want to get into a deep study on that particular issue. Uh, but it seems that the demons were fallen angels, that they uh, followed Satan in his rebellion in heaven and there's a re passage in Revelation 12 when it says one third of the stars were caught by the tail of the devil and how that that represented uh, in Hebraic uh, typology or symbolism uh, the angels that fell from heaven and they are now in league with Satan and his kingdom and his purposes. So, we've said all that. Where do we get to the check that doesn't bounce, so to speak? Yes, we want to dismiss the sensational. Yes, we want to dismiss even uh, certain um, narratives in the Book of Acts and the Gospels that really did have a redemptive historical context that has to be observed and recognized. We shouldn't be expecting to be casting out demons every day because there's no New Testament exaltation in the epistles to do so. But if we're to allow that to speak for itself, what do we have, if you will, for the New Testament church, for the saints today, alive and kicking, if you will, in the 21st century? Well, let's go to some very familiar passages. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is familiar just about to every Christian. I mean, if you're hearing this for the first time, welcome, okay? Because this has been read over and over again, cross-denominational. Uh, in my experience. But in Ephesians 6, reading from verse 11, it says, Put on the full armour of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against sp spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto yourself the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having lined uh, yourself with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fire, fiery darts of the wicked one, and take up the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, this has been discussed many times before. I remember once coming across, across a Puritan commentary that was like, like 
an encyclopedia just around this section of scripture that I've read to you right now. They clearly had more time on their hands and they didn't have the distraction of television and other toys that we have today. And they were able to invest by candlelight a lot more time into those things. So that works out there. It's probably even free on the internet now. That's a great thing about dead reform guys. Most of their material is free on the internet somewhere. Uh, so I don't want to spend too much time doing that. But really to get to the application of uh, how it impacts us today in our everyday living. And I just want to kind of extract or highlight a couple of important points from this verse. And I want to flip over to Second uh, Corinthians and then I'll kind of bring it to a conclusion here. But notice it says, we wrestle against these powers, principalities, uh, powers, rulers, darkness of this world, spiritual weakness, wickedness in the high places. So God wants us to know about this, that there are certain powers uh, permitted by God in his sovereign plan that are in allegiance with Satan, who is described in Second Corinthians 4, 4 as the God of this world, who... Uh, come against the church and come against the saints and leave the pagan or the unbeliever in bondage to sin, that they entice them to remain there and also inspire them to persecute the church. That's why it says as early as Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would have enmity with the seed of the serpent. And as this gets fleshed out in further New Testament revelation, we see the children of God and the children of Satan. And... He inspires the children of Satan to persecute the children of God. So I think that's familiar to most as well, listening to this, this podcast. But I think what's sometimes overlooked is the fact that these principalities and powers have one main objective, and that is to get the Christian to basically take away his stand in the world, his steadfastness uh, to the things of Christ, his fidelity to the gospel. I think that's what's often mentioned but not really meditated on enough. That they're not busy as we might sometimes uh, be led to believe by watching the Discovery Channel or something like that. They're not busy uh, haunting a house, uh, masquerading as a dead aunt or something like that or a dead uncle, um, just to give us the heebie-jeebies, just to give us the creeps, and we can have uh, a Blair Witch Project, uh, Witch Project type of movie to watch every once in a while. We find that that would be of no consequence in the kingdom of darkness. That's why I have a high skepticism when it comes to those type of claims. Because what, what, of, of what benefit could it be um, to haunt a house that's, unoccupied okay the idea is to bring people into deception and bring people uh, into deception through propagating lies masquerading as truth that's really where the focal point of the demonic activity is in the present age to bring people by way of deception into lies by masquerading as truth and that's why in uh, these verses here, it says, um, let me find the verse again, it says, verse 14, standing therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So the belt of truth as it's known. That's the first item 
of the armor of God. So what's the opposite of truth? Falsehood. Lies. And Jesus said from the beginning, the truth is not in Satan, and he is a liar and the father of lies. So rather getting preoccupied with um, poltergeist and creepy homes and even marvelous acts of God's power in the Gospels, his focal attention in the present age, I believe, having been now restrained by the victory of Christ uh, in the cross, is to get people to believe lies, to be to get people to believe things that are not true. Because notice again, I'm thinking of Revelation 20, which I believe is speaking of the church age. It says, after he was bound into the abyss, it was so that he would deceive the nations no more. Deceive the nations no more. So that there would be a, a level playing field, if you will, uh, or a vacuum of the uh, the demonic to bring about illumination and revelation of the gospel to the Gentile world. I think that's definitely what the verse is driving at there in the gospel age. So that's the part that we really do need to focus on as Christians in the 21st century. And I've often had people approach me, and not every day of course, but once in a while, you know, what, what, what concerns you the most, Jonathan, when it comes to the activity of Satan. And sometimes they're expecting demon possession, demon oppression, um, you know, um, poltergeist, whatever it may be. But what I find extremely disturbing is people with Bibles in their hands in broad daylight believe in lies. That's scary. Where you think you're in the truth but you're actually embracing lies. I'll show you what I mean by this. Let's go to another familiar passage, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here, um, Apostle Paul is a de uh, defending his apostleship over against the so-called super apostles, quote-unquote, who were attacking his uh, validity and authenticity as a minister. And the Church of Corinth were actually paying them to do the ministry. I mean, it was such an antithetical, polarized situation where Apostle Paul loved them. The more he loved, the less he was loved. And the more these false apostles took, the more they paid. And what made sense of that? But it was deception. And that's why um, from verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 11, Apostle Paul says this, for such are false apostles, deceitful, see, deceit to bring people into lies, transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Or some translations can transform himself into an angel of life. Therefore, no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So at first glance, they look authentic. At first glance, they look genuine. But what Satan does is he inspires these false teachers to teach false doctrine. That's why in First Timothy 4, I believe, it says, in the last days, perilous times will come and they will follow doctrines of demons. Many people will follow doctrines of demons. So when people say, well, doctrine's no big deal, theology's no big deal, I'm saying it is a big deal and it does matter and we should talk about it because 
it seems to be the concentration of Satan's attack in that area. That if he can bring people into falsehood, he's won. I mean, he doesn't need to bother with the other uh, creepy stuff because he's got people believing lies and still under his domain. And that's the power of the gospel. So how do we combat it? Well, the only thing that we're told to go forward with, again, referring back to Ephesians 6, is the word of God, the gospel. And we don't speak on our own authority. By no means do we speak on our own authority. But we speak on the authority of Christ. And even Michael the archangel, as Jude 9 says, when disputing over the body of Moses, didn't dare bring an accusation against Satan, but rather said, the Lord rebuke thee. So we don't go out there saying, I rebuke thee, or uh, start uh, naming names and telling the devil where to go. Even as I speak, I say this with great humility. And as for the full covering of, of Christ in my life, whenever I discuss such a topic as this, because I need his authority and rest upon his finished work and his truth, for he is truth and the gospel and it's light that it brings. That is what we go forward with. We go forward with the gracious truth of the gospel in order to see the kingdom of Satan dispelled and divided so that the kingdom of God can be built up. So don't get into your heads that, well, you know, I can figure this out. No, we can only go as far as biblical revelation. And you also have to understand this, and this really struck me the other day, uh, especially you reform folks who are very, very clever with figuring out problems theologically, very, very astute, very sharp, very wise, all wonderful virtues that you must cultivate and grow in. But remember this, Satan and his demons are smarter than you. They are smarter than you. Think about it. They've had millenniums to observe human behavior. And we've been, what, alive maximum 70 years? Perhaps there's somebody over 70 listening to the show, if you are. Thank you for listening. <laughs> so if we can come along and have any type of uh, influence or authority over that. No, we're cooked without Christ. But Christ is above every principality and power. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we look to him and to him alone for our refuge when it comes to these, 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 uh, these realities. Even a tax dare I say. But as the Bible does say, the shield of faith will quench the fire of, or the darts of, of the evil one. And I think those are just moments in our, in our day-to-day lives when we get hit with a lie. God doesn't love you. How could he love you? Have you seen the way you're thinking today? How you're behaving today? There's a lie, like a dart. Just seems to get through the garments and into your heart. And you go, yikes. And then from there it grows and develops into a bigger lie. To the end, your peace is disrupted and at times even lost. But if you hold up the gospel and you can even say, privately to yourself, God, you know how bad I am. In fact, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Really, if truth be known, if you had a, a window into my soul, 
I mean, yes, I've been conformed to the image of Christ through the Spirit, but in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So, oh yeah, guilty is charged. So can you see the subtlety of that? It's to rob you of peace. Peace with God, which you have by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what Romans 5 is all about. Seeing therefore we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See how important justification by faith alone is, how important the gospel is. So don't think, well, you know, I'm facing this situation, whatever the situation may be. Maybe it's a family member, maybe somebody at church, maybe somebody at work. And you say, you know, I can can be smart here. I want to get them before they get me. If it's an unbeliever and, you, and as the Bible says, they'll think in a way, they'll act in a way that's contrary to the Christian worldview. What you need to be praying for is divine protection and for God to change their hearts. Not to have a little mousetrap set up. So you can say, aha, you know, I got you. Or something like that. And maybe some of you are like, say, what, what are you talking about? Maybe I'm just speaking of personal experience, but certainly thoughts that I've had recently, that um, we can have this temptation, especially when we're Bible students, to be the smartest. And yes, we must be smart when it comes to the Word of God, but we're nowhere near as intelligent and as smart as the evil principalities and powers. Because they're, they're, they've been alive for millenniums, and they've observed human behavior for centuries. And they have access to a realm we cannot see, where they can see things more clearly. A lot of people think when you go into the into heaven that that's when things get kind of fuzzy and unclear. According to the scriptures, that's when things get get most clear. That's why in Second Corinthians, when again Apostle Paul is defending his ministry, he says, "I know a man in the body, out of the body, I do not know, who saw the third heaven, who heard words that are not lawful to utter." Take a step back from that verse for a second and re-examine it. We often think of, I know all those books that are out there, people who've seen heaven, seen the new Jerusalem. They always come back with stories of um, the visual, the theatrical, the sensational. But Apostle Paul said, I heard words spoken to me, words of truth spoken to me. See the difference there. I'm not saying the Heaven doesn't have all those wonderful visuals. Of course it does. But what he said there in that passage is the words that were spoken to me. So when you get to heaven, it's just like truth everywhere. Everywhere. No more suppression of that truth. Once you're into the next realm, there's no more suppression of truth. It's just everywhere. So if the angelic and the demonic alike have full access to that truth now in the dispensation of the church, according to First Peter, that was once hidden for them. So they don't, they're not omniscient. They don't know all things. But they're in a realm where there's greater clarity. So to think that we have any chance whatsoever of outwitting them, outsmarting them, you're nuts. What we need to do is for pray, to pray for people, as the Sermon on the Mount says, who persecute us. And pray for the Lord to change their hearts through the gospel and through the power of the Spirit and humble ourselves and stand uh, in the faith so that we can withstand the day, as the Bible says. I think that's where the challenge is. And that's not very exciting 
to some. That's not. That doesn't sound very triumphal, very victorious. But I honestly believe the best way to have victory is to have surrender. To have a greater life of surrender to God and His will is the way through the woods. But we're going to be bombarded each day with lies. And that's why we need to be so acquainted with the Word of God where we say, no, that's not true. This is true. The Word of God is true. And we always go back and meditate upon it constantly. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. Be careful to do all that is written there. And now I know that's the Old Testament context there with the Mosaic Covenant. But meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the promises day and night. So you can see where God's taken you. And yes, we're going to be bothered. We're going to be hassled with the things of this world. And we know ultimately behind that are the things of Satan. But we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And great is, is he that is in us than is he that is in the world. And finally, just as a comfort verse and conclusion here, we go over to First John. Hey, wow, Jonathan, this is, this is, is quite scary stuff. Yeah, it should scare you. Um, but for the Christian, you don't have to be ultimately scared. You don't have to be afraid because the Bible has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of peace and a sound mind. So I remember reading this verse, and it was it's just a little verse at the end of First John that uh, I think is often missed. It's not absorbed for its full worth. But um, read from verse 18 of First John 5, it says, We know that whoever is born of God, sinneth not. Now, that doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means we don't live a lifestyle of sin. That's the context of the Greek. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. So we live a sanctified life. We don't live a sinful lifestyle. And get this, and the wicked one touches him not. And the wicked one touches him not. So that's the way forward in our sanctification. Humble ourselves before the living God. Embrace the gospel with all our hearts and seek to propagate and to communicate the gospel truth of saving grace in Christ Jesus. And if we focus on those things, then we will not be uh, preoccupied or if not preoccupied, we will not be leaving ourselves open to be used or come under the influence of the things of this world and the things of the flesh and the things of Satan. So I think that's where I'll leave it. Be encouraged. Christ is on his throne. He's going to save us to the uttermost because he's the faithful high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. But we just need to have um, a second look at that uh, important biblical truth that we are not there yet. We are not yet glorified. We are not yet in the consummated state. But very soon we will be. So it's important as Titus 2.13 says that we embrace the gospel in this life which teaches us to deny ungodliness. So believe, embrace the truth, put on the belt of truth and that will be a catalyst to a sanctified life that chews evil and cleaves to what is good and praiseworthy. So I hope you enjoyed this show. I'm hoping to be back in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime... I pray that the Lord will continue to bless the study of his word. God bless you all.